As our guest today points out, most enterprise software applications are essentially forms for collecting data. The form tag and related components started appearing in HTML fairly early on, and those same concepts are still in use in modern web browsers. However, the technology for capturing the state of that form, validating its inputs, and providing other common services for management of form data has continued to evolve in many languages and frameworks. Eric Rasmussen is the author of many popular open-source libraries, including Redux Form and React Final Form. In this interview, we discuss the need those tools fill in the market and some of the modern approaches for form state management. Eric, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. I'd love to start off with a quick summary of your history as a developer. Could you let listeners know about your journey? Well, let's see. I started off doing database sort of stuff. Like when I was a teenager, I worked with a company that managed data for a mental health progress using like FoxPro and old database uh, tech. In college, I played around with C++ and had some courses on Lisp and stuff like that. When I got out of college, my first job was with uh, Java and Java server pages and servlets and all of that jazz. You know, that was pretty cool at the time. So I stayed with that job, basically doing Java. You know, it evolved a little bit, but it was basically Java servlets for 15 years. But during that time, I really got into the JavaScript uh, community and building more sort of single page web applications, first with Angular. And then as soon as React was open sourced, I immediately saw that that was the the one true way going forward, at least for a while. And so I've been big in the React community since then. The way it was originally presented to me is HTML would be static data primarily, and then anything you know more interesting would be a servlet or something like that. Of course, that's not the way things ended up. Right. What changed? I mean, I even remember I did some work when you had to put the backend stuff in like the CGI bin directory, where it was the server was literally running a compiled executable on every request, which uh, was you know, thinking back on it is kind of wild. Although what is serverless? Pretty close. But um, yeah, what changed is that at first the World Wide Web was pages. And it was cool because it was, we had this metaphor for what a page, you know, a physical piece of paper is. But now we had a way that you could touch one of the words and go to another page. And that was really game-changing at the time, of course, especially, you know, it really took off in academic circles where you could click through your bibliography sources. That's great for reading, but as soon as you want to get data from the user, you have to load the data from the server to, to present into the, into the page, but then also like receive the data back. That's when, you know, the web application was born and it really opened the door for a lot more powerful stuff to be done on this dumb terminal of the web browser. Like you didn't have to install an application. I don't know, to look at your bank statement or whatever. So we've seen a progression of different approaches to this problem of getting user data and making that easier. And we've converged on things like React. But when you look at the big picture, have we materialized on the right design pattern? There's no way that's you know, everyone thinks they're they're at the end of history, right? 
you know, all the physicists 100 years ago were sure that we had discovered all of the laws and now we knew everything, which is, you know, hilarious looking back. I guarantee you in 20 years, we're not going to be using React. We're going to be using something that evolved from everything that we learned using this declarative UI paradigm. Like already you're seeing the the pendulum swing back towards hydrating templates rather than trying to render the whole page on one go. So for sure, we're not at the at the end stage, but I, you know, I look forward to seeing where we end up going. Well, I don't know if you would consider yourself an early adopter of React, but it seems like that label would be fitting. When you started looking at the framework, what did you see as the opportunity for improvements in how developers gather data? Well, uh, for sure, I would consider myself an early adopter of React. Pretty much as soon as it was open sourced, I started building stuff with it. And I realized that we had a state management problem. You could keep your state in your components, but there still needed to be some sort of higher level state. Everyone writing React at that time suffered through that. Then when Facebook came out and said, hey, we've invented this paradigm called Flux, the, the Flux model. And it's this one-way data flow. You know, you have these stores and you can, you can put stuff into these stores. This is the way that we think you should manage your, your state in React. And they said, here's a paper about it. We're not giving you any source code or anything, but this is just... And so everyone in the React community immediately started building Flux libraries. I built one for my own use, but there were some popular open source ones. You know, eventually all of that combined into what became Redux. But, you know, you're asking about getting data from the user. Angular had this two-way data binding uh, system where... You put an input and you said, this is the variable that I that I want to be able to access this value in my JavaScript. And then it just kept that in, in sync for you. But React had this concept of a controlled component, which meant that you had to manage the value of your input. That was all that the React documentation gave you was, look, this is how to make a controlled input. Good luck. I like to joke sometimes that, of course... Facebook didn't think about having more than one input on their on their forms because Facebook's primary interface is just a single input, right? But that's, of course, silly because their actual customer-facing stuff is all the ad stuff in the background. So React made it really hard to get data from the, from the user. If you had more than three inputs, it was complicated. And so at the time I was building an application that needed... 15 inputs on one page. And there wasn't a really obvious way to do this in React. But this was right around the time that Redux was taking its throne as the way to manage state in React. I was in one of the React chat groups with the creators of, of Redux. They were there talking all the time about, about state management and stuff. I asked Dan Abramoff, I said, hey, I need to figure out how to manage my form values. Is Redux going to be fast enough to like, you know, dispatch an action on every single key press? And I recall his response being, I don't see why not. Try it. And so I did. And I built a little reducer to manage the manage multiple form values. And um, it worked, it worked pretty well. So I open sourced it. It was really my first, I'd open sourced a couple things, but this was really the first one that I thought, hey, I might be onto something. And it, um, quickly became clear that the community, this was an itch that everyone needed 
everyone had, and it really filled a need that the community had. Redux Form was the name of the library, and it got pretty pretty popular, especially, you know, it got so popular that people needed, you know, extra use cases and stuff. Like, I need to, when I first wrote it, I was, as with all open source stuff, the initial author is solving their own problem. And then they open source it. And then people come along with slightly different problems. Like it had never occurred to me that you wouldn't know all of the inputs that your form was going to need at programming time, right? I, I thought you're always going to know if you have if you need 10 inputs or seven inputs or whatever. But no, then people came to me and they said, well, we need a button to like add a new input. That sort of dynamic form shape thing had never occurred to me. It was an interesting problem to to try and solve. So with the community, I helped build Redux form into a pretty extensible library for managing form state, which was a great learning experience for me. So releasing something open source, I guess it's as simple as just changing the status on GitHub or something like that. But what does it take to get your library to be seen and get people to adopt the work? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just one of those right place, right time scenarios. There's a couple things that work to my advantage. At least once Dan tweeted about it, which got a lot of eyes. But also, like my previous open source work was I had built this, um, it was meant to be like an example template for starting a React web app. It was using uh, Express for the server and it was using Webpack and the Webpack, you know, dev hot reloader technology. And it was also server-side rendered. So for, with every request, it would render it once on the server and, you know, ship that to you and then rehydrate. You know, these are all basic table stakes now. But at the time, it was like the technology was just barely able to, to, to handle this. I had this open source repo for this this sort of template of how to how to build stuff in in React. It was fairly popular at the time. It's still, I think, one of my repos with the most stars. And sometimes people still add a star to it for some for some reason, even though I haven't touched it in five years. But I used a little bit of that fame there and I made an example of this is how to do a form and I used I used Redux form. I think I got a lot of people that just like forked that repo to start whatever they were working on. And by default they had Redux form in their application. So I think that helped a lot in getting popularity. The rest is just, yeah, it um, was a problem that people had. And when you looked around at the time for how to do this, that was the most used uh, way of doing it. Well, since the time you released Redux Forms, the React project has continued to evolve quite a bit. I don't think there were hooks back then, for example. No. So what's the current state of Redux forms? Is it still relevant and or has the project evolved in certain ways? Right. So Redux form still works. It still is has millions of downloads every every month. There are it's still being used in lots of places. But Redux form had several issues. One is that as the manager of the of the you know, open source library I was in the habit of saying yes to all the feature requests. People would say, hey, can it do this? And I would say, well, let's see. And I would solve the problem and I would say, hey, now it does this. And it's 
got to the point where the bundle size for the library got pretty large because it did a whole bunch of stuff. So people would complain, hey, I just need a login form or I just need a thing with three inputs. Why do I have to have this huge library that my users have to download? That was one issue. Another question that I got a lot was, you know, there are people using Redux in other frameworks. Why is this specific to React? Why can't we use it in, in you know, Angular or some other framework? Another question that, that people had was um, because of the way that it was done with the binding to the you know, map state to props or whatever, it couldn't support render props. This was the time when render props were gaining momentum as a, as a thing. This is way before hooks, of course. People wanted to pass in a function. You know, a render prop is a function that describes what to render that you can give to uh, to a component. All Redux form could do was you could give it a, a whole component, not just a, a little function to, to render your input. So I had all of this feedback and I started thinking about it. I realized that what form state is, is not specific to React at all. It's, you know, what your form state is, is it's, you know, obviously the values of your inputs, but it's also, are they valid? Uh, have you run some validation on them? But also things like which of the fields has the user visited and which of the fields has the user visited and then and then, and then then blurred? And have we tried to submit yet? And all of this stuff, there's a whole bunch of things that make up what form state is. And it's not related to React. It's going to be the same set of information that we're going to be using when we're no longer using React 20 years from now, when we're all filling out forms on our VR headsets or whatever. Whatever our application is, is still going to have to track all of those specific things. I thought if I could just write a standalone engine to manage those values, that would be really powerful because then it could be used with any framework. I set about building such a form engine. So I released another form library, this one called Final Form. Because I love React, I also released a, a wrapper around it that maps it to React called React Final Form. I was able to implement render props with that. Another goal that I had with Final Form was... Remember how people, when they wanted a small form, they didn't want to have to download all of this, all of this code. Is that I made it, I made it modular. If you need the code to manage an array of fields, you can add on another, another library and sort of build the form library that you need for your application. Final form has also become pretty popular, but because I released it a couple months after Formic was released, a lot of the like I said, remember how with Redux form, there was a lot of hunger for the ability to manage form state in React. At the time, there was a lot of hunger to manage form state and have render props. A lot of the people that were using Redux form went over to use, to use Formic because they supported render props. Formic took off in a way that there's no way that Final Form is ever going to catch it in popularity. But there still are uh, some real diehard Final Form fans. And as I had hoped when I initially wrote it, people have taken that internal core and they have mapped it onto uh, view and web components. And there's several libraries that are using that internal core and then are building something else around it, which uh, I think is pretty cool. 
So am I correct in assuming that that core is probably in pure JavaScript and that there are these auxiliary lightwave wrappers to let me use it in other frameworks like Angular and React? Yes. The other core tenant of Final Form was... So some of my complaints with Redux Form was that components would re-render when they didn't necessarily have to. And I wanted to make it very explicit that if you needed to, you could really fine-tune final form so that it would only re-render the parts of your page that you needed to render. Again, this was one of those things where when I started out writing Redux form, I I thought, oh yeah, 15 fields is a a huge form. But then I had had users come to me and say, hey, when we're adding the 400th input, things start to lag a little bit. And it's like, wow, okay. And so I wanted to make it especially performant when you need it to be. So yes, it's just a pure JavaScript implementation. And then you can subscribe to either form state or individual field states as you wish, and you'll be notified when those change. So the use case of a simple login form makes perfect sense to me. What's the use case that demands 400 fields? I don't know, some some huge you know medical survey or something. I did some some consulting work the other day with someone that needed some help with with final form and hadn't really understood the the ability to fine tune for for large forms and they had a page that like the form spanned the whole page and on the page they had like six different tabs across the top and in each of the tabs they had a list of you know forty records and each of those records had ten inputs on them so quickly right there you're you're multiplying into many many inputs enterprise software is basically all forms like if you watch the receptionist at your dentist you know when you go they're using they're just typing into forms all day and you know that's what all the all the government employees are doing all all day long is typing into forms so there's a lot of forms out there well you'd shared some examples of the way in which user feedback has driven extensions you've made to the project, enough so that you're even worrying about the bundle size. And as that bundle gets bigger, your service becomes more robust. But it might also be the case that you introduce a learning curve. And there could be a balance here between robustness and complexity versus uh, developer productivity and onboarding. Do you have any design principles for how you mitigate that? Yeah, that's tough. Every time someone says, hey, this almost does exactly what I want, but it'd be great if I could pass in this this Boolean flag and that when this configuration flag is true, then it doesn't behave in this, then it behaves in this other way. And so you end up in this, you know, configuration hell where you have all these different potential settings, you know, maybe mark all fields as dirty when when you get a an error from the server or something like that. It does add add complexity, and but there's no like that's just the trade off. You can't have simplicity and also tons and tons of functionality. That's why you can't sit someone down and have them open up Adobe Photoshop and figure out what you know how to draw a circle. Right? It's hard uh, because it's a it's such a full featured application. But if you give someone Microsoft Paint, you know they're going to be able to. So it's just an engineering trade-off. 
Well, most forms need some amount of validation. Sometimes that's something simple, like maybe there's just a regular expression we can do to check. But other times that could be very complicated, where maybe a remote call has to happen to look something up in a database. Are there any strategies or best practices for managing complex validation? When you're defining the local client-side validation, there's two ways you can do it. I call them record-level validation and field-level validation. Record-level is, here's a JSON object of all of the form values, just like we would submit if if you hit submit. Is, is this valid? And for that, the validation function has to return another object that has the errors uh, with the same keys of the as the object that it was given. And your other option is field-level validation, where you specify this is for this field, you know, minimum value is five and the maximum value is 10. That field doesn't necessarily have to know about all the other values in the form. Although very quickly you discover that no, actually, even when you're doing field level validation, sometimes you do need to know about other values. Like does this new password confirmation match the, the new password that you're given? Or is the checkout date after the check-in date on your, on your hotel or whatever? But then there's the other two places you can do validation are on submit. Generally, that's, you know, happens on the server. That's a thing there where you submit the form and the server checks something and gives you back an error. Or you can do async validation when a field is blurred. An example of that is like, um, you know, you're signing up for a service and you choose your screen name that you want and it double checks to make sure that no one has that screen name yet. And yeah, it does get complicated. Managing the most complicated part of of Final Form for sure is the async validation. Say you've you've chosen the screen name and then you've tabbed to the next field, and the web page is checking with the server to see if that's if that's available. But before you get that response back, the user hits submit. There's this sort of async race condition stuff that can happen that can be um, very complicated. So yeah, it's no, it's a hard. It's a hard problem. You have to, I mean, that business logic has to happen at some point. So, A couple of times in my life, I've wanted to get some data out of some website where maybe they had pagination in place and I went under the hood, was able to, you know, mock my own request or alter the form, send a different limit and get a big request back. That's not exactly an epic hack, but it's something a form builder might have to contend with if they have sneaky or clever users. There's also the sensitivity of the data being put in the form. Do you have to take any security stance as you develop the library? Right. So my position as the library author is you give me your on submit function and I don't care what you do with the form values. I rec- but obviously the right way to build a form, you know, the the full stack form you have to also validate your values that you receive from the form. Just because you have a, a JavaScript thing that, that's running that makes sure that for sure the person has entered their street address, and if they hit submit, you really need to be checking that on the back end too, because anyone can, most people don't, but for sure you can you know, spoof a, a post request and potentially you know, get invalid data in your database. And that's one of the reasons that I favor what I described as record-level validation, because if you're validating the whole object of all the form values, 
if you're using Node on the back end, you can share that exact function to validate on the back end as well, which is very handy to make sure that you you know don't get bad data in your database. Well, my understanding of the success of Redux form and also your inspiration to build Final Form was really about filling a need that didn't exist. Are there any vacuums in the market today that might inspire a next generation of a form library from you? That's sort of what Final Form attempts to be. It has nothing to do with the name. The name, there, there was so much namespace pollution on NPM with anything using the word form that the only remotely re- rememberable phrase for forms was Final Form. So I went with that. Ironically, it could be, like I said, the form library engine that, at least as long as we're using JavaScript, could extend into the future. I had that hypothesis tested way sooner than I expected to because I wrote this long before hooks came out. And hooks are a totally different way of managing state in React. When I went to rewrite React Final Form to use the hooks state management paradigm, it was interesting how easy that was to do because the design of Final Form was such that it's all like subscription-based where you say, hey, I want to subscribe to these values about this field. The subscribe function returns the unsubscribed function, which is a pretty standard thing in the observable pattern. But you know, guess what the API for use effect is? It's exactly that. So it was quite easy to rewrite React Final Form to use hooks. As I was doing that, I had the realization that, oh wait, this this field component, all of the all of the hooks that I'm using in this, we can I can abstract all of that out into a use field hook, and then my field component is nothing but a call to use field, you know, and then I I, I can export that use field hook, and that allows anyone to turn any component into a into a, a field component connected to Final Form. That was very powerful. So in the form space, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think there are really unsolved problems. It's just that does necessarily get messy with async validation, like I was saying. There's no obvious way to get around that. But you know, I'm I'm always thinking about it. I've several other ways of thinking about the flow of form state that I've thought about over the years, but none of them have materialized into anything that's particularly better than this subscription model. Well, one quick code level implementation question for you. A lot of people who are new to React hooks find a sort of an added challenge in getting two different components to share data amongst each other. If I've built a complicated form, it's built out of a ton of different components. What's the developer experience like if my state's distributed across a bunch of stuff? So with React Final Form, you put a form component around your form, and that creates an instance of the Final Form core engine that gets put into context. And then anywhere inside that, you can subscribe to parts of either form state or field state. Well, let's talk about it in the context of the state machine abstraction. It seems like the state of my form is pretty simple, right? It's just the values I've put in every field. What else is there? Yeah, so it seems pretty simple, but there's really like three or four different parallel state machines within a, with, with just within a field, right? Not even talking about the whole form. 
There's, you know, whether or not you currently have the focus. And then there's whether or not you currently have an error, whether or not you are currently asynchronously validating. And then there's, you know, your your value. So there's quite a bit of state just within one particular field. And then there's like whether or not you have been visited, you have had the, the focus ever. That's really useful for only displaying errors after the user has like tabbed out of an input. So you don't you know, aggressively tell the user, hey, this field is invalid before they've even had a chance to try and fill it out. I've taken a run a couple times at implementing a field with a state machine, like current favorite library, xState. I've been learning a lot about state machines, and it's it's been changing the way that I think about how state should flow through an application and whether it's this top-down Redux sort of way of thinking about the state lives at, you know, at the top somewhere and from below you can subscribe to it or update it. With xState and state machines, it's more about this actor model where each component has its own state and has a way to talk to other components that need to know about changes. Rather than tell the top level that your state has changed, you can tell an actor that you know is one level, one level up or one level up and over. Because you are coding, it's like you're anthropomorphizing the component where the user, user clicks the button on your component. The code you have to write there is, okay, who needs to know about this? And then you you send an event to to whoever needs to know about it. And then as far as you're concerned as, as that component, you're done. And then you go to the component that needs to receive that. And you sort of put yourself in, in that component's shoes. And you say, okay, I've received this event. What what does this mean about my state? And who do, who else do I need to tell? It's very, very interesting. I've introduced it to, to my team lately. And, and everyone is really, really enjoying that way of thinking about data flow. So are you applying these data flow principles to your process of developing the library, or is this in other aspects of your work? So potentially a form library could be using state machines under the hood, and the consumer of the library wouldn't really need to know about know how that was being done. Like I could conceivably rewrite the core of Final Form as with state machines. But I lately have been using them more not as a library developer, but as an application developer to organize my my state. Like, for example, if I were building a form where I had some sort of need for my form to be in different states, I would use a form library. Like, I would use React Final Form. And then when React Final Form gave me, you know, the on submit, then I would do something to orchestrate what happens with that. I would move my form into a submitting state, although React Final Form uh, manages that for you as well. But I would then, you know, orchestrate whatever has to happen with my state machine outside of that. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I gave a, a talk where I built the common wizard form where you've got a form that's on several different pages. I left the form values and whether or not the fields were had an error or not to React Final Form. And then I wrapped that with a state machine that kept track of what page you were on in the form and allowed for, in my example, it was uh, if you're ordering like a pizza or something and you choose pickup rather than delivery, then you can skip over the page where you have to give your delivery address. And so you can 
use XState and your state machine to manage the user flow, but not worry about the form state itself. When working with more state machine-driven design, does that affect the way you unit test? Uh, yes, because you can just test your individual machines. Like you've you've broken down a lot of the complex logic to what goes in and out of this of this actor. If I send this event to this actor, I expect to get this event out of it. So it breaks that. It makes that a lot simpler. And the fact that you don't that your component doesn't have to connect to some outside Redux or something makes it. I don't know. So far, I've I've seen it um, to be easier to test. What are some of the other advantages you've seen in rolling this out with your team? One of the bigger advantages of finite state machines is that you don't get into impossible states. So the typical example of this is when your component mounts, it needs to go fetch some data. And your hook that does that for you gives you back your data, but it also gives you back a loading flag and also an error value. And so your code that is consuming that is having to check, you know, are we loading? And then, you know, do we have an error? And then here's our data. You can't be in a state where you are loading and you have an error, or you aren't loading, nor do you have an error, nor do you have nor do you have data. You can only be in a few states. Once you have a couple booleans, unless you're thinking about that logic table of, well, what if if I have two booleans, there's four possible states that they can be in, right? And you have to keep track of that. But usually when you have two booleans, there's really only three possible states. I mean, I don't know about usually, but in my experience. So having things defined as a state means that, I don't know, I find myself writing way fewer if statements. Because before I would be like, if A and B and not C, then we need to do this. But with a state machine, I know that I'm in the state where two of these things are true. And I can just, I don't have to check because I'm declaratively sort of, I know that, that I'm in this particular state. It's a little hard to explain, but it, it changes. You're not having to like check all of these values all the time. You just know that if I'm in this state, then the state of the world is, is such. Yeah, it seems like I also get some guarantees of what values will be when otherwise I might not necessarily know exactly. Right, exactly. You know, you know where you are. <laughs> well, I believe both Redux form and React Final form are personal projects. What are you up to in your day job lately? Well, I've just joined the team at uh, Centered. Website is centered.app. As developers, we've all experienced this phenomenon where you're you're programming you're you're really into your code you you know you've got whatever components that you're working on you're holding all of all of its code in your mind and you're and you're really focused and you do this and you and then you have to go you know have to change these other things and you can get into this state where you are so concentrated that like the world drops away and time flies and you're super super productive and, like you don't have any distractions this is what psychologists call uh, flow. It's what professional athletes and musicians and dancers and stuff report. When Tiger Woods is lining up his putt, he's not thinking about his mortgage. You can be in this level of concentration that makes you the best you that you can be at whatever it is that you're doing. The goal of Centered is what can we do to get 
you into this state where you're super concentrated. There's quite a bit of research done on this, but for many people, having a little bit of, of music at a certain range of beats per minute that don't have lyrics, so you're, you're not, it's not messing with the language part of your brain, and it can get you into this, into this, into this mode where you're, uh, where you're focused. It's also really important to have a specific list of, of tasks that you want to get done. What the centered app does is it's this thing that you, that you run on your desktop. You list the things that you want to, that you want to accomplish and how long you want to, how long you want to spend. And you say, you know, I'm going to spend an hour and a half working on these, on these three tasks. And I want to take a break every, every 25 minutes because taking a break is also really important. And you press go and it starts, it starts playing this nice music. There's this concept of a, um, of a flow coach that comes and, and says, okay, get ready to flow at the beginning. Sometimes there are like little, little stretches that they walk you through. And during the breaks, there's like little, a little breathing exercise to do. It really does work. It helps me focus. And it's lots of people have reported that it's, that it really helps them get more stuff done quicker. So anyway, that's where I've been working for the past couple months and I'm really excited about it. It is a thing that could change the lives of everyone listening to this because it, you really can. And with practice, this isn't like, like everything, the more you practice getting into this state and being efficient, the easier it is to, to do. It's not meditation, uh, but it's sort of, you know, in the mindfulness spectrum of metacognition of thinking about your state of mind and trying to get into best state to be your most productive. Yeah, I had some success with something, I think it was called the Pomodoro method. Yes. I fell off that eventually, but I feel like this has more of the structure I was looking for. Where can I check it out? Well, you go to centered.app and you can sign up there. I've been given a um, discount code that I can give to the listeners of Software Engineering Daily. It's SW Daily Flows, all lowercase. That'll give you 100% off the first month. So you can really see that it, that it works. Everyone's methods and needs are slightly different. It's flexible for, to meet everyone's needs. Well, anything that can help me with productivity is warmly welcome. Right, because if you can get eight hours of work done in four hours, then you know that's four hours of free time for you to spend. For open source contributions. <laughs> exactly. Well, Eric, thanks for taking the time to come on Software Engineering Daily. This has been great. Thank you very much.